Welcome to Journey Church. Thank you for, for joining us here. My name is Scott. I'm the, the lead pastor here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to shake your hand at some point. I'll, I don't know. I'll hang out after church, so feel free to come say hello. But um, before we continue in, in our service this morning, as we continue in our series in, in the letter uh, that Paul wrote to the Philippians, when we're going to invite Jamie um, Johnson to come up here in just a minute. I have a, just two things I want to share with you just to make you aware of. One is for kind of for families, one of is for the rest of us. But the first for families is that we're doing a parents' night out on uh, at the end of this month. I think it's on March 26th, which is simply going to be a, a chance for parents to kind of drop off your kids and, and your youth and hand them over to, to Mitchell and Olivia Cutterford and some other fantastic adults and youth volunteers at the YMCA. There's more information that will be in our newsletter that goes out every week. And if you haven't signed up for that, you can fill out a connection card at the guest connections table. But uh, that is going to be something that you will want to take advantage of if you have kids and you would like a night out. So just be aware of that. And the other thing is that Easter is coming. I've, we talked about Lent a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but that all leads towards Easter Sunday. And if you've been a part of Journey Church for a while, you know that the last few years we've done Easter at the Water Oasis. And we are going to do that again uh, this Easter. On April 9th, we'll go out to just outside of Newburgh to the Water Oasis and have kind of a kind of an outdoor indoor service it's a covered facility but it has kind of an outdoor feel to it and they, but it can close if it's the weather's not cooperating uh, but we want to make sure you're aware of that so again you don't show up here on Easter Sunday uh, all by yourself that would be unfortunate uh, but we also want to encourage you to invite other people we've just had a fantastic time out there and there's a lot to look forward to and we'll be getting more information about that in the weeks ahead but we wanted to make sure you knew that so with that, let me invite Jamie Johnson to come up. He's going to continue in our, our series through Philippians this morning. And, and before he does, I'd love to just pray for him and for us. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, Paul and his words to this group of Jesus followers in Philippi and, and how you spoke to them through him. And we pray that you'd speak to us this morning uh, through Paul's words to them. Lord, teach us to, to follow you. Teach us to, to know you. Help us to, to love you. Um, we want to press into that, and we just pray that through your word today we'd be able to. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Uh, in case you're wondering, if you've never been to the water oasis, that picture up there is not the water oasis. <laughs> it is beautiful out there, but it's not that beachfront property. I've got a question for you, and uh, actually am inviting you to discuss it with the person next to you, whether you know them or not. Make sure no one feels left alone if they don't want to be alone. The question is this, to which fan club or fan clubs do you belong? It doesn't have to be something official that you pay a membership to be a part of, but what is something that you feel so strongly about that you are, as the young folks say, a stan for them? All, all the young folks are like, yeah, okay, that's good. <laughs> what is something that you feel so strongly about that you are a part of its fan club? Go ahead. Talk with your neighbor.
Make sure your neighbor gets a chance to share too. Okay. Uh, I would love to hear just a couple of, a couple of shout outs. What, are, uh, what did your neighbor say they're a fan of? What are they in the fan club for? Yosemite, all right, Yosemite National Park, yes, beautiful place, which is closed right now because of all the snow they've had, amazing. Yeah, I heard something else. The beavers, the beavers. all right. That's, uh, those might be fighting words in here, all right. Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton. okay, nice, yeah. Megan and Harry. Megan and Harry. <laughs> yeah. Anything else burning that you want to share? Taylor Swift. Swift, Okay, all right. I'm going to Taylor Swift this summer with my daughter. I think she's coming with me. I'm not sure which way it is. Well, I I am a loyal member of what is called the Red Sox Nation. Yeah, see, already. There are a few things that mark a loyal member of Red Sox Nation. The first is that you have to hate the Yankees. That's just, uh, and you can't be a part of Red Sox Nation if you have any, in, any kind of feeling of affection towards the Yankees. There has to be total animosity towards them. That's number one. Number two, if you're a part of Red Sox Nation, you're a fan of green monsters. Particularly the one at Fenway Park, but also their mascot, Wally. But it also makes you feel sort of a weird type of affection for other green monsters like Oscar the Grouch. You also, um, without, it doesn't matter where you are if you're watching a different baseball game, in between the top of the eighth and the bottom of the eighth inning, you have to sing, at least in your head, if not out loud at the top of your lungs, Sweet Caroline. And number four, you have to hate the Yankees. For most of us, these fan clubs are just something that we do for fun. They are hobbies, they're a source of entertainment for us. They're something to help us connect with other people. Some of us may take it a bit too far in terms of our fandom of something and the um, vitriol uh, that we feel towards those who don't appreciate the thing that we're a fan of or who belong to the fandom of another enemy club. But I want us to think about this idea of fan clubs or this idea of belonging to a group as we continue in our series here in Philippians. Because Paul is inviting us to think about our membership in two competing communities, which for the sake of the illustration I already used, two different fan clubs. There are two terms that New Testament scholar Nijay Gupta uses to describe these two competing communities. And um, he he gives to them very theological terms. I'm going to share that theological term with you, which you'll see here on the screen in just a moment. But I'm also going to make it a little bit simpler because the terms themselves are a little bit, I don't know, hard to say. They don't quite do the job of conveying what I think they convey. So the two clubs are this. The first is anthrodoxia. It sounds like some kind of, I don't know, weapon or something. But 
Anthrodoxia, this is what I'm going to call club self. All about doing what you can at the expense of others to make sure that you look good, your needs are met, that you are the one who is victorious. And the second club, the competing club to that one, is the club called Theodoxia, or Club Savior, which includes those who live to glorify God in their words and their actions and the ways that they live their lives to be people who are pointing towards God. I don't want you to keep these two clubs in mind as we read the passage in Philippians that we're going to be um, studying this morning. Starting in chapter 1 of Philippians, verse 18, technically 18b, I think, but um, the second half of 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this... I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This moves into the section titled, Life Worthy of the Gospel. So whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. God, as we, um, as we study these words of Paul in this letter to the people of Philippi, as we seek to understand uh, the message that uh, Paul was trying to convey to this group of believers, Would you help us to not just understand contextually what was happening then, but to catch a vision for how you are inviting us to live here in this moment in time in which we inhabit. May our ears be open. May our hearts receive what your spirit is offering to us, teaching us, convicting us of here in this space, God. Amen. So these words of Paul, uh, particularly um, in this section, are words in which he uh, gives to us a sense of what he's going through. Paul is in prison after having previously been to the town of Philippi. 
um, to spend time with the believers here in the city, to encourage them, to um, share with them what it meant to be people who were following Christ, who were not just receiving the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for themselves, but also going out into their community, into their families, into the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the city of Philippi was an interesting place. It was a city as um, Nijay Gupta. And I'm gonna, I relied heavily on um, Nijay's uh, commentary on, on Philippians 4 this morning. Um, part, of, uh, part of the reason is Nijay is a friend of mine. He uh, serves, at, he, he actually used to serve at George Fox as a New Testament scholar. Now he's at a different seminary in the Midwest, but it, it's all online. So he still lives in Portland. He still has a beautiful ministry here in the Portland area. And, and Nijay does a really beautiful job of connecting uh, particularly as a, a New Testament scholar and more focused on the works of Paul, connecting Paul's words with our current context. I would encourage you, um, as you have time and interest, to, to look at what Nijay has written. He's written several books. This, um, uh, the commentary I'm using today is called uh, Reading Philippians, a Theology. Um, and you can find that, um, well, actually, I don't know where you can find it totally, but um, I'd be happy to to uh, help you find a place if you're interested in, in reading more of that. So what Nijay says is this. The city of Philippi was a city that was obsessed with status. They were a Roman colony, and uh, as a Roman colony, as a, a colony that existed as part of the um, superpower during that time, uh, they were a city that was subject to few taxes, and uh, not only were they the citizens of Philippi subject to few taxes, they were the recipient of other uh, regions, other towns, non-Roman cities, uh, their tax dollars. And so within the city of Philippi, there was a booming uh, cultural scene. They had theaters, they had um, uh, places of entertainment that were funded by the government for the residents of Philippi to enjoy. The reason for that is that many of the people who lived in Philippi were retired veterans. People, men who had um, served in the Roman army and who uh, had done their time. And now it was time to live out the rest of their lives in luxury. That's what this town was. Maybe kind of like, I don't know, somewhere in Palm Springs or Florida or some other place. Where the people who were gathered there were people who enjoyed their days. They just got to do what they wanted to do. And not only did they get to do what they wanted to do, and they got to spend time in ways that maybe those who were having to work uh, more often, who were having to um, earn money in order to survive, it was a place that also was very religiously diverse. And within uh, sort of the pantheon of gods that were worshipped, um, were a, a variety of different uh, deities that could be chosen to meet your need, whatever your need might be. Whether uh, you had a desire to be more in love, there was a God that you could worship for that. You had a desire to, to have more money, there was a God you could worship for that. It, it was simply a place where there, whatever you wanted to invest your time in, the things that you wanted to claim as your authority or as 
your deity, you could do so. And it was within this context that there was a small group of Christians. Now, um, if, if you're like me, when, I've read the, when I read these letters that Paul has written to these communities, uh, I tend to think of the group of Christians he's writing to as this humongous group who are you know, doing these really incredible things. And at least in Philippi, that's not true. It was likely that the church in this city was about 20 to 30 people. I mean, imagine that. 20 to 30 people in the midst of this big city, and I don't know how many people lived in Philippi, but simply 20 to 30 folks who were on mission for Jesus, who had heard of the good news of Jesus and who had chosen in the midst of all of the pressures that they were facing from their family, from their neighbors, from their community, to follow the way of Jesus. And that's particularly poignant in a city that, as uh, Nijay has said, was obsessed with status. Who you were, what you had, mattered. And often what you had and who you were happened at the expense of other people. So that the most important thing for those who lived there was that you became greater while others became less. And the more you could do that and the more altruistically you could do that, the more you could do that without actually looking like you were trying to become greater, the better it was. And so this group of Christians, 20 to 30 People, this small group of Christians, were visited by Paul. They caught a glimpse of this life with Jesus, and they were on fire for Jesus, living in this city in ways that were countercultural, in ways that uh, were, were certainly ways that would have been threatening to the people around them. And Paul, as he did, um, left Philippi, and, um, and the letter that he's writing to them is a letter that he's writing to them from prison. And Paul went to prison a few times, um, not for breaking any law uh, besides the law of, of saying that Jesus was king and that the Roman emperor was not. Uh, the law of, of inspiring people to follow after Jesus and in so doing up, uh, upending the culture that, was, uh, that existed in order to make the emperor the most important person. So I want you to imagine with me, um, and, and this is what Nijay invites us to do, his words, there's a slide for this. Uh, imagine with me this. Imagine that the Apostle Paul, a charismatic, wonder-working preacher of Jesus Christ, going from city to city, planting, planting different churches, gospel strategic cities of the Roman Empire. Imagine you're a Philippian resident who who thinks, wow, there's something special about this guy and his message. So you dive into this gospel message. You tether yourself to Jesus and his people. I could use some good news, peace. I could use some joy. And then Paul winds up in prison. And things aren't going so well in Philippi either. These people who had chosen to follow Jesus because of who Paul was and what Paul was teaching to them. 
now see this leader who had inspired them, who by his own, uh, his own vision, his own ab- ability to articulate what it meant to follow Jesus, were now wondering, is this the type of person that we want to follow? If everywhere around us in the context that we live is saying that status is the most important thing, and Paul comes through and he says, following after Jesus is going to create this beautiful community in which you, even you, are going to have a place at the table. And then the next time you hear from him is in a letter where he says, hey, by the way, I'm in prison. Life is not really great. But I want to encourage you in the things that you're going through. It would be hard to receive that message. And so Paul's message of encouragement to live a gospel-centered life, to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, is speaking directly to the shame and embarrassment that would have come along with the type of life that Paul himself was living and the type of life that Paul was inviting them to live as they followed Jesus. And to make matters so much worse for the people, it sounded like Paul actually was enjoying his time in prison. Again, Nijay says, Paul is decisively at ease In fact, he sometimes boasts about his weaknesses, his afflictions, his sufferings. He rattles off what we think of as setbacks, as if they were awards, beatings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, bandits, persecution from false Christians. Why? Because Paul believed the gospel of Jesus Christ was an unstoppable force. So in a way, Paul relishes when he faces an obstacle. Because he knows that God will find a way through it, even if the way is hard. So when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, is inviting them into a life that is countercultural in a city, in a context that says status is the most important thing. He's inviting them to continue to live their lives for Jesus, even when it includes not just a lack of status, but suffering and persecution. And he's inviting them to see that even though he is at the bottom of the, uh, the, bottom of the barrel in terms of uh, status during that time, that it didn't matter. It was not a barrier to the gospel. Why? Well, simply this. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of life with Jesus, isn't dependent on you and I. It is going to continue to persist because it is an eternal truth. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is reflected through us. It's not dependent on us, but it is to be reflected through us. So for Paul and for us, it's never about Paul. It's never about us. It's always about Jesus. And I think what this passage in Philippians and, uh, and as we turn the page next week to chapter 2, what it's inviting us to consider is this, that the way of following after Jesus is one that emphasizes this concept of humility. 
In fact, one of the major themes that we see throughout the book of Philippians is humility. You're going to see it in uh, the Christ hymn that Scott preaches through next week. You see it in uh, uh, many of Paul's writing. In fact, um, Paul actually, uh, he didn't, he didn't create this word, but the word humility in Greek, which is actually way too long for me to actually pronounce, so I'm not even going to try, is unique to Paul's writings. So Paul, in his understanding of who Jesus was and the life that he was inviting people to live, uh, said that your life is going to look like one that is known by humility. And this was such a unique concept to the people who who were listening both to what Paul was teaching them, but also who studied the life of Jesus. Life with Jesus is one that is known by humility. And we see in Jesus the ultimate expression of humility. One who could have rightly moved through the world with arrogance, Yet he chose the path of humility, not because it would be a more effective strategy, but because that is who God is. Jesus himself, as he walked on this earth, exhibited humility in the ways that he interacted with people. He showed up for folks as The savior of the world, as the son of God, he showed up for folks and he was present to them, listening to their stories, eating with them, spending time with them. When he could have invested all of his time in those with power, seeking to earn his way in the world, to earn notice, to be the one that others were looking to through his relationships with those in power, Jesus instead chose the way of suffering. He chose the way of humility. He chose the way of walking alongside of those who by all accounts meant nothing to the rest of the world. And in so doing, demonstrated to us that if we are to be true followers of Jesus, we too need to walk in the way of humility. What is humility? Well, it's not being a doormat. It's not simply being in a place, but also not being in a place so that you don't get in anyone's way. That's not what humility looks like. Humility isn't staying quiet so that others can be loud. Humility isn't this um, continual sense of decreasing your own importance or value so that other people's importance or value can be the thing that takes center stage. No, simply this, and this is what Paul writes in chapter 2. Humility is valuing others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. And not for the sake of becoming the the people who have the right friendships at the right time, but simply because the value that each person has in the eyes of God is one that is immeasurable. What does it look like to be people who live in humility? Humility. 
Uh, a few weeks ago, I was scrolling through my own vice named Twitter. And I stumbled across this humility inventory that comes from uh, Rich Velotis, uh, pastor and author serving in Brooklyn. This is what he offered as a way of inventorying if we are people who live in humility or not. Just a few questions for us to consider, and it will be on the screen. One, when someone gives you feedback, do you close up on the inside? Two, how often do you consider the perspectives of others? Three, when is the last time you invited someone to teach you about a topic? Four, when is the last time you changed your mind about an important issue? Five, how willing are you to admit that you are wrong? Some of you, I know, that one stung. Number six, how do you respond when you are corrected? This humility inventory is, I think, a really valuable tool. Because it strikes at, at least for me, it strikes at the things that I uh, have a hard time letting go of. The things I want to hold tightly to, especially in the midst of our, our current context that we live in. There's a lot of arguments, there is a lot of uh, posturing about what is right and what is wrong. There is a lot of argument, there's a lot of posturing about what you can do and what you can't do, who you can be associated with, who you shouldn't be associated with. And there are certainly wise and winsome ways in which we need to think about how we live in this world. But when we operate in this world without humility, what we're saying is that we've got everything figured out. That we don't need other people. And this isn't the way that Jesus invited his followers to live their lives. And I don't think it's the way that's going to lead to the type of life that we so desire, that we so long for, that we so um, search after in all the things that we do. I want to return to Paul's invitation in chapter 1. And it comes in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's invitation to the Philippians was to live their lives in humility. To be people who saw others, no matter who the others were, as people that, they, uh, that were worth serving. That were people who were um, by not the titles that they had, not the, the type of life that they lived, but simply because they were a creation of God. 
people whose own interests they wanted to make sure were valued. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, isn't dependent on us. If we see ourselves as the gatekeeper of the good news, we're missing actual, uh, the actual invitation of Jesus, which is to live our lives in step with Jesus, not to become Jesus. The invitation is not about making sure that we are the ones that hold on to the things that are most right and make sure that those who are not know that they're wrong. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not dependent on us. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is reflected through us. And that's why during this season of Lent, as we're studying the book of Philippians, I think it is really important for us to consider the type of life that we're living. Is it one that would be, that would be characterized by humility? Or is it one that's characterized by things like arrogance or things like selfishness? The gospel is not dependent on us. And so if we are to live a life worthy of the gospel, it's important for us to consider if we are truly living lives of humility or if we just talk a good talk. I'm going to invite the band back up, but what I want us to do together is to read the Christ hymn, which Scott will be preaching from next week. And I want us to pay attention in this to the invitation into humility. And it's not an invitation into humility because it's going to make our lives better. It's an invitation into humility because that is exactly how Jesus lived his life. And because that's how Jesus lived his life, we too are to live our lives in that way. So will you stand with me? This, um, uh, this translation of the Christ hymn is, uh, is Nije Gupta's translation of it. It'll be on the screen for us. So let's read this together before we sing our final song. All of you should think this way, which demonstrates the example of the mindset of Christ Jesus, who once shined with the divine glory of God, but did not cling to his divine status with a tight fist. Instead, he willingly made himself nothing, as when one looks upon a common slave. So he took the humble form of a mortal, and just as he was found to be an ordinary human, Indeed, he lowered himself, becoming a subject to the point of death, even death by shameful crucifixion. As a result of this obedience, God lifted him up on high and bestowed upon him a superlative title, such that when all hear the name Jesus, every knee will bend in the heavens, on earth and below, and every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. And all this will bring ultimate glory to God the Father. Amen.